The scripture for this evening is Genesis 17, verses 1 through 9. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan for perpetual holding, and I will be their God. The word of the Lord. For whatever reason, when the subject of covenants come up in the Bible, it really brings out the, um, like, uh, like accountant in biblical scholars. Like the glasses sliding down to the end of the nose, tip of the tongue, sticking outers, the scrutinators. The whole covenant area of study seems to be populated with calculators and chart drawers and timeliners and list makers and annotators. I think that they think that they found a way to take the mystery out of the whole thing, a way to pluck the spirit out of the ether and pin it down to the paper, to stick it in a column, to line it up and keep it there. They debate how many actual covenants there are, what is involved in each covenant, and uh, what are the ramifications for uh, the failure to follow the covenants, and uh, they like to draw graphs. Covenant. They would say, covenant, yeah, it depends on which covenant you're talking about. The Edenic, the uh, Noahic, the Abrahamic, Mosaic, or <laughs> the new covenant in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I have a chart with the timelines that, that delineates the differences and consequences of misapprehension, if you like. I see why our cartoon character, biblical scholar friend, gets so giddy about finding a solid, tangible, referenceable, referable interaction with God. You know, it's good to have something in writing, something clearly laid on paper, uh, something that's duly agreed upon, notarized in blood. But as you can probably posit, things are not that simple. They never are with God. The text we read today is just the tail end of the Jewish Torah portion, uh, which is read in the third week of every year, and it includes chapters 12 all the way through chapter 17. And it's called the Lek Leka. In Hebrew, that means go or leave, which seems a little ironic given that the title, given the ti- that an ironic title, given that the conclusion of the story is all about God making a covenant with Abraham to give him this land for him and his family to live on in perpetuity. But the title is not selected for its ironic qualities, although God loves irony. 
It is named using the convention of titling Torah portions after words in the first sentence of the section, which in this portion is, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land which I will show you. Go, leave, leave, go, where? I'll tell you on the road, God says. My family moved to Southern California, moved from Southern California to St. Paul when I was seven. So I didn't really grow up knowing my grandparents or seeing them that often. So when I moved back to the West Coast during college and graduate school, I made a point of visiting my grandparents as often as I could, as regularly as I could, especially visiting my grandpa Webb. He was like, I thought he was so cool. He was old and like a Missouri farmer kind of guy who moved to California with his brother when he was 17, like a real grapes of wrath situation here. And I think also maybe because of the time, like a farm aid and that John Cougar Mellencamp scarecrow record, you know, so it just seemed like bleak farmer old guy seemed cool to me. So I would go visit him whenever I could. And when I visited him, we always went out and we walked the land. That meant walking around his property and sort of like surveying the place. He'd show me new vegetables or flowers that he planted and point out how a particular tree was coming along or how a repair was holding up. I always assumed this routine was like a holdover from generations and generations of Missouri farmers. It was just like something you did every day to keep an eye on things. It was like an everyday farmer job. I don't know how big the farm was that my grandpa grew up on in Missouri, but the land we walked in El Cajon, California, was one acre. When my grandma bought, grandpa bought it in 1949, it was way off in the country. Um, but uh, by the time I was visiting him during college, it was just like a semi-crappy suburb of San Diego. There were no other acre lots around his. There was this routine to visiting my grandpa. I'd pull into the dirt driveway past a little eucalyptus grove, and the dog would start barking, and I would sit in the car until my grandpa came out of the house, wiping his mouth on the back of his hand or wiping his hands with a handkerchief, like he hadn't been expecting anyone and was sort of caught in the middle of either eating or working or something. And then a big, slow grin came over, came up as he walked toward the gate, and he'd say something like, well, look who it is, like I just showed up out of the blue, like he didn't know I was coming. And then he would tell me where to park my car. You just pull in there next to the truck or put it in the back of Grandma's Chrysler. She's not going anywhere. She already got her hair done. And I would park the car, and my grandpa would mosey toward me. Grandpa moved at a, a mosey speed, not because he was old and weak. He was actually kind of strong and sure. He just moved at that speed. Maybe it was like the way of his Missouri people. And then we went inside and we sat in the living room for a bit. And uh, he would ask a few questions about my brothers or my sister, or say some half-joking comment about me going to school in Berkeley and how he couldn't remember if Berkeley was Sodom or Gomorrah. But he couldn't remember. And then I would make some comment about how old the dog or the bird was getting. And then after a bit of a pause, he would say, getting up out of his chair, well... I guess we better go have a look around. 
That was always my favorite part of the visit. We would go out through the kitchen where he would say to my grandma, Mother, we're going to go for a bit of a walk. And we went out to the breezeway where there was a table with a few old hats among pruning shears and work gloves and old glass bottles and plants he was starting. And he would pick up a greasy, well-worn feed cap, knock the dust off it with a slap of his, on his thigh and hand it to me, saying, you better put this on. And I would take it and nod. Yep. Try to have the Missouri come out in me. And he would pick up his and brush it off the brim and put it on. I assumed the hat was for the sun, but it wasn't always sunny. So maybe it was just like you wore a hat when you went out to walk the land. We never really talked about anything, but what was like right in front of us. We'd walk the land and look at this plant or these stones or the cactus or the garden or where the birds are eating this or that. He never asked me about me or school or anything like that. We just walked the land. And that's how I got to know my grandpa. By getting to know the land. By getting to know his land. I got to know him one step at a time. Every visit. Walking the land. Back to my chart-dropping, timeline-popping friend, looking at all the covenants in the Bible here that might be quantified or categorized. I noticed that all of them, from the Edenic to the New Covenant, contain these elements of the land and of the go. The land and the leave. In the first covenant, God makes, uh, God makes a covenant with the people, which, by the way, God makes, he makes, actually makes the people out of the land, and God gives them the land to care for as the land cares for them, but then he ends up telling them to go, leave, to some other land. Noah, that covenant, well, it's a crazy one. God thinks that the people are out of hand, and as a result, he not only kills every human but six and most animals, but he also completely hits reset on the land, floods the earth, taking it back to like the second day of creation, before dry land was even invented. He puts Noah in a boat with some animals and says, go, leave. Leave, go, where? You'll know when you get there, God says. With Moses, this with Moses and that that whole covenant, the whole thing is go leave. Here, Moses will say, No, keep going. Here, Moses will say, No, keep going, God says, go. Moses and the newly covenanted people walk all over the land. They're headed to the land that God originally covenanted to Abraham, which he didn't really stay on for very long. Um so, but God has got these people, and he's not taking them straight to that land. He's having them roam all over some other land, back and forth to some other land, back and forth this land, across and back, before God finally shows them the real place, and then famously doesn't even let Moses enter it. Then there's the new covenant. The new covenant. Jesus, the incarnation of God, Jesus takes it on the road right away. He does the walk and talk. Jesus gathers up his disciples in Galilee and then leaves 
He teaches his followers while they're walking all the way to Jerusalem from Galilee. God pronounces a new covenant to the people. He says at the last, he says at the last supper that Jesus took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of all sins. I tell you that I will never drink it again, this fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out. Jesus seals the covenant with his blood, promising the forgiveness of all sins, saying, we will drink again together in my Father's kingdom, meaning in another place. The next time we do it won't be here, but a different place. So we got to go. At the end of this, Jesus says, we got to go, and they all get up from the supper, and they leave. They go. They sing a hymn, and they get out of there. Even after the resurrection, which is the real seal on the seal of the new covenant, one of the first things Jesus says when he appears to the women is, tell Peter and the others, it's time to go. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. But we're all here in Jerusalem. We could just meet up anywhere around, maybe. No, go! He says, go! Well, it's like a 70-mile walk. Lek, lekka, he says, go, leave. These covenants are not made, after all, to nail things down, to put something on a chart, to clearly delineate God's relationship with us. Whatever anyone thought they heard, what every one of these covenant comes down to is essentially God saying, I'll tell you what, how about we take a walk? The entire Bible can be summarized by this. God calls us to go, to move across the land and promises to go with us. The covenant is not clarification, but contains the simple mystery, lek, leka, go, leave. And where you go, I'm coming with you. If you want to know God, walk the land. Know the land. If you want to know love, walk the land. If you want to know justice, know the land. If you want to know mercy, go. Know the land.